Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm author and publisher Tracy L. Slatten. It's my belief that the most interesting, creative, and original voices today are heard outside of the big corporations, studios, and galleries. Individuals of courage, inspiration, and vision are seizing the opportunities to create and promote their art themselves. I'm here to support them and to bring their stories to you. On this show, I'll interview independent artists of all kinds, unusual thinkers, and even some healers about their process. How do they do it? How do they start with an idea and bring it to life in the world? This show intends to illuminate the journey. Feel free to call in to 516-453-6052 with questions or live chat with me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artists thinkers. Great to have you with us. This is Tracy Slatten, hosting Independent Artists and Thinkers. I am so happy to welcome you to the show. Excuse me. We've got a great show lined up for you today. I am also very happy and grateful that so many people are listening to the show, both live and in the archive. So thanks for tuning in, and I hope you're enjoying the shows. I created this show to support those brave souls who are operating outside the structures of the big established corporations. As the introduction to the show says, I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. I'm interested in alternatives to conventional thinking and conventional answers. I'm interested in creativity, fresh ideas, unusual perspectives, and originality. And this show aims to bring you models of people who embody those qualities. Please do call in with questions or comments to 516-453-6052. You can also live chat me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artist thinkers, and the chat room is open. Email me in between shows if you'd like to suggest a guest or have me ask questions of a particular guest, and you can reach me at tracy at tracylslatin.com. That's T-R-A-C-I at tracylslatin.com. In the coming weeks, we've got some really cool guests coming on. Next week, on Thursday, March 10th at 1 p.m., hip-hop literature author Anthony White will be on talking about creating a new genre of literature. So, very cool. The week after that, on Thursday, March 17th, image consultant Lauren Solomon will be on to talk about putting our best foot forward with our appearance. So, that's always interesting to me. So tune in and keep checking the website independentartistthinkers.com and the Blog Talk Radio page to find out who will be on the show. I am so happy today to have a very special guest and a repeat appearance, and that's Dave Rico, author and union psychotherapist. Dave Rico, PhD, MFT, is a psychotherapist, writer, and workshop leader. He teaches at a variety of places, including Esalen and Spirit Rock Buddhist Center. He shares his time between Santa Barbara and San Francisco, California. Dave combines psychological and spiritual perspectives in his work. His two most well, his his most recent book is is called "You Are Not What You Think: The Egoist Path to Self-Esteem and Generous Love," and it just came out a few months ago, and I really love it. Um, the website 
for his books, CDs, and events is DaveRico.com, and that's D-A-V-E-R-I-C-H-O.com. Um, and I also want to point out a couple of things on YouTube that Dave has uploaded. One of them is uh, a beautiful meditation on love. And if you just search Dave Rico colon love in the YouTube search field, it'll come up and it's really beautiful. And there's also a series about transference uh, that I really enjoyed. So Dave, welcome and thanks for being on the show again. Thank you for having me, Tracy. <clears throat> I'm so excited you're here. Um, I'm saying again, as I said the first time you were here, I love your books. I love what they say, and I enjoy your writing. And line for line, your prose is just beautiful, and it's a great pleasure to read such well-crafted prose. Well, thank you. So um, this is our second interview. So I won't start with my usual opening question about how you arrived at the place where you are now. And instead, uh, I think we'll just jump in and talk about your new book, You Are Not What You Think, The Egoist Path, self-esteem and generous love. So can you introduce this book to my listeners and maybe talk about why you wrote it? Yes. This book is about how to recognize what we call a big ego in ourselves, and it's easy to recognize it in others, but what I'm proposing coming from a Buddhist perspective of loving-kindness, is that we find a way to look at that big ego energy in ourselves with compassion, and that when we meet up with somebody who's, uh, shall we say, full of himself and ego-overwhelming in his manner, that we... Uh, look with compassion at him also. Now, by e by big ego, I mean that mindset that sometimes takes over, usually automatically, when we are in any way upset or in any way feel disrespected or blamed. It's an, a mindset of Arrogance, entitlement, and control. And we see this happening in ourselves sometimes, and we see it happening in others. So a big part of the book is on how to work with that kind of ego energy. And then the other part of the book is how to build a healthy ego, the one that has the real self-esteem. And my proposal is that you can take the three main characteristics of the big ego, let's say arrogance, entitlement, and control, and you can find a way to express, to, to work with those three so that they become gentler and you're still an assertive, strong person with a healthy ego, but instead of it being arrogance, it's healthy self-esteem. Instead of it being control, it's collaboration. And instead of it being entitlement, it's stand up for your rights, but if you can't get them fulfilled, don't retaliate, which is the Big Ego's favorite sport. And then uh, the book uh, 
puts the accent on how this ego arises in intimate relationships. So, for instance, within uh, a partnership, one partner feeling like he has been disrespected or his needs are not being met might then just automatically turn to passive forms of retaliating. And that is coming from that unhealthy ego. Whereas the healthy ego would say, ouch, this doesn't feel good. Let's see what we can work out. So that's the overall topic of the book. And I finally try to show that psychology doesn't get us to the point of freeing ourselves from ego. It requires a spiritual practice. The, the, the ego is not motivated to reduce itself. That inflated part of us needs some type of touch of spirituality, like, like Pinocchio being touched by the wand of the blue fairy. That's a symbol of how, no matter how much effort you put in, you're you're going to need some touch of grace to open up that ego and find ways to make it healthier and not give in to those natural inclinations that we all have, which come from this mindset of I have to be right, I can't forgive, I can't apologize. I have to get back at you. Those are the statements that come from this big big ego mindset. And you can see how they would be totally antithetical to healthy intimacy. So I see the big ego as the main obstacle to intimacy. Well, you wrote in the introduction of You Are Not What You Think, um, we are so concerned with protecting our turf that we lose sight of our real goal in love which is to give and receive love. And you also enumerate what you call the major disabilities of a big ego, that it can't admit, submit, remit, or commit. Cannot admit he is wrong or apologize, has to be in charge, cannot remit uh, wrongs, cannot forgive and let go. And then you say that these are not choices, they are compulsions. But first, also, before you address that, can you go back, why did you write this book? I wrote this book because of my own big ego. And I thought, well... If I really get down into this, I might loosen up some of my own ego reactions. That's happened to some extent, but it still rears its ugly head here and there. But I'm still committed to working on this project. It's the project of a lifetime, really. Now, as far as it being compulsive, uh, what I mean by that is it just comes up as an automatic reflex, reflex, and then when you when you are ego aroused, you just can't help it. You just stay in that mode, and you keep trying to get back at people, and you uh, lose your sense of mutual respect, mutual cooperation, uh, mutual 
resolving of conflicts. Once that ego is aroused, it takes a long time for it to to uh, reduce to normal size. And and all of this happens in a compulsive way. Like you, compulsive means uh, something is happening and you just can't stop it. It just uh, keeps uh, it keeps activating itself more and more. <clears throat> An example would be a good example would be control. A controlling person. We really need to have compassion for this controlling person because to be controlling is a compulsion. A controlling person can't help it. He just has to micromanage. He will feel very stressed out if he's not the one who's making sure everything is done exactly as it needs to be done. And by that he he means up to his standards. And once he gets into that mode, he, he just feels a compulsion to stay on it and make sure it gets done the way he expects it to be done. That, in that sense, uh, the controlling part is, is, is like the most obvious example of how this ego mindset is driven by compulsion. It's by, it's by compulsion rather than conscious choice. Mm. I knew I was going to, I wanted to invite you again on the show when I read this particular passage and it goes back to some a conversation that we had in the first time you were on the show. And the quote is, every act of retaliation is an avoidance of grief. And you've talked about how that retaliation vengefulness is the sport of the big ego. Mm-hmm. So when someone hurts you, your automatic, shall we say, Cro-Magnon reaction is to hurt back. You hurt me, so I will immediately hurt you. That's the retaliation. Okay. But if you slow the whole thing down and you look at the experience of hurt, what it actually leads to in a more uh, intelligently processing way is grief. I feel sorry that I was hurt. I feel sorry that this happened. I feel a sense of loss of respect. I feel a sense of loss of trust. I feel uh, that you uh, have have hurt me Uh, unnecessarily. The real reaction, shall we say, real from the point of view of of a healthy psychological response, is grief, which is the body's automatic technology when it's faced with hurt, loss, or disappointment. But instead of going to the grief, you feel much stronger if you go to the retaliation. And you think to yourself, well, I'll get back at him, and that will even it all out. 
rather than I will say, ouch, I will feel my grief and I will try to work it out. That's a much bigger challenge. Most people don't want to go there. They'd rather go directly to the retaliatory response. And that is the ego's most common and favorite resort. So you can see how dangerous this would be in an intimate relationship. It's certainly, uh, we can certainly understand how a nation retaliates against its enemy, another nation. But if you say that you love each other, two people, and one is retaliating against the other, it's not understandable at all. You ask yourself, well, what kind of love is this where they don't work something out, they just go ahead and retaliate? And in my work with couples in counseling, it took me quite a while gradually to catch on the extent to which within relationships people are secretly retaliating or they're retaliating unconsciously. They don't really know that they're even doing it. It's just so deeply ingrained into us that we do it automatically and we just um, don't even name it. So this is why what helped me, again, psychology did not help me. Understanding all this did not make any difference. What made a difference was when, oh, about 15 years ago, I just made a vow to Buddha that I would never again knowingly retaliate. And I've kept that as best as I can. And that's made the major difference in how I could let go of my ego. Also, over the years, uh, as I think I say in the book, I did not like the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus says, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hurt you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. I didn't like any of that. did not sound very manly. And actually, the one who didn't like it is my big fat ego. Mm. Because what he's actually saying is, <clears throat> okay, if you want to let go of that ego, this is the kind of challenge that you would have to face and embrace. Not only would you not retaliate, you would even do good to those who hurt you. You, you, it's an over-the-top recommendation, but it comes from a spiritual source. You won't find it in Psychology 101. Mm -hmm. So this is why I keep coming back to <clears throat> how much of a spiritual issue this really is. Well, here's a passage that struck me. Uh, it's a quote. Ego severs all bonds when it's caught in its frenzy of vengeance for being affronted. We who have offended an egotist find that we have built up no credit, can expect no reprieve, no matter how much we loved, cared for, or did favors for the egotistical person. Once the ego is triggered and galvanized, it is possessed by revenge, resentment, and grudge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, I'm sure 
many of us have encountered that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so is the egotist, you write about the egotist, is that synonymous with the narcissist? Pretty close. I have a chart in there uh, that shows the difference between the two. One of the main differences is that a true narcissist um, has a what is called a character disorder or a self-disorder. And so it's never really going to be, shall we say, cured. It can only be managed. Whereas egotism, you can let go of. It may take a lifetime to do it, but it can happen. Another difference between narcissism and with narcissism, you go to the psychologist. With big ego, you go to the uh, spiritual guide. Um, they're different in that egotism can be worked with and reduced down to zero, whereas narcissism can only be uh, massaged, managed, so that you kind of act like you're not so narcissistic, but you never really get over it. It's sort of like being an alcoholic. Mm. You're you're always an alcoholic, even though you're in recovery. Like with narcissism, you're always in recovery. But when it comes to letting go of ego, you could actually make it through and free yourself of ego reactions. Then you'd mm. be like, say, the Dalai Lama or Mother Teresa. You know, where they had let go of that that uh, me-centeredness in favor of a we-centeredness. But well, in both I, instances, those are people with a spiritual practice. Well, I remember reading something or seeing something years ago about the Dalai Lama. Someone said, aren't you angry at the Chinese for um, killing the monks? And he said, it comes up as a wave. And I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember the whole quote, but I remember mm -hmm. thinking about that, that, this energy of anger and hurt coming up as a wave and just watching the wave rise and recede. I thought that was really cool. Yes, that's beautiful. Because the anger is the normal reaction, anger being displeasure at an injustice. But all that matters is that you don't act on it in a retaliatory way. You, you can act on it by protesting nonviolently. But um, ego is a form of violence. Ego is a form of violence. That's an interesting. Yeah, word. because you're at you. It, it leads you to the retaliatory response, or it leads you to snub someone, or hold a grudge against someone, or hurt someone. It leads you to try to control others. And, of course, behind all this is fear. Mm -hmm. I mean, what's actually happening is, you know, you're afraid that people will find out that you're not all you're cracked up to be. So that's another reason for the compassion. It's interesting that um, in our uh, culture, the... The breakdown of the ego is often shown in a cartoon form. So let's use a simple example. Uh, Roadrunner and Wile E. Coyote. Mm -hmm. um, 
the wily e. coyote is the ego-driven character. He thinks he's a big shot. He thinks he has all the power. Shows a lot of uh, entitlement. Whereas the kind of uh, humble, uh, very matter-of-fact roadrunner um, overwhelms him every single time. So Roadrunner is breaking down the ego of Wiley e. Coyote, even though a, a bird is of a lower um, uh, genus than a mammal, a coyote. So that's often how it's shown in a cartoon. So you have, mm-hmm. you'll have Bugs Bunny. And Elmer Fudd, well, a bunny is lower than a human, but yet Bugs is the one who wins every time. And there are many examples like Woody Woodpecker, uh, Porky Pig, etc., in which uh, it's the one that you think is weaker who breaks down the big fat ego of the one who thinks he's the strong one. And the fact that we put that in a humorous context, I think that's a way of saying um, it would help to have us, it would help the ego a lot if it could laugh at itself. Yeah, I think laughing at itself. The ego is very serious, doesn't want to laugh at itself or be laughed at. Mm Mm-hmm. Did you remember that example I gave that of uh, something I heard on the radio uh, about the husband and wife? Uh, oh, yeah, can... she asked him and he wanted to kill her. And, and exactly. Fish or something. Yes, uh, this man was trying on a a new shirt or something, and he came out into the living room where his wife was sitting with her female friends. And when she saw him wearing this shirt or whatever it was, she laughed at him in front of the women. Now, if there was ever going to be a trigger of ego, that's it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And and this actually happened, by the way. I heard this explained. uh, This this was a, a news item on the radio. He was so upset, he wanted to kill her. He called his friend. He said, I want to kill her. His friend said, well, come on over here until you cool down. He went to the friends. He stayed there for the afternoon. He went back home. Three o'clock in the morning, he called the friend again. He said, I have a gun, and I'm going to kill her. Mm. And so, you know, the friend had to intervene and prevent this from happening. The wife recognized what was going on, and she had to, you know, escape from the house. This is an example, I mean, an extreme example of what happens when that ego is triggered. Mm-hmm. It's very, very dangerous. It causes uh, bloodshed. It certainly has led to wars. And it's all about uh, that part of us that thinks it's a big shot. And if anybody dares laugh at us, or disrespect us, we 
are compelled to hurt them, get back at them, kill them, whatever, is you give yourself permission for that um, once you feel like you have not been given your due. That's what's meant by entitlement. Mm-hmm. You know, you think you're entitled to be treated with love and respect by everyone rather than uh, we would like to be treated with love and respect by any, anyone, but one of the givens of life is that doesn't always happen. So you have to have some kind of technology to deal with that. And the technology is grieve, say ouch, have a dialogue, discuss it, work it out, ask for amends. You know, that that's the healthy approach, not I want to kill her. Well, how how do people how do you deal with an egotist who's waging a vendetta against us? I mean, such as when or like when the, the egotist has made you the identified problem, you're the problem, and has convinced people that you're the problem, and is basically just waging a vendetta, some of which is not even is dishonest and untrue. How do you deal with that? You would have to back off completely, not go nose to nose, not try to get back at him, just stay away from him and, you know, ask for help from your support system. Um, There is no way to talk reason, reasonably to an ego that has been aroused. Yeah, I've experienced that. I, I've actually, I found a prayer, it's a Lubavitcher prayer, but I liked it, and it's about forgiveness, and I tweaked it for myself a little, and it goes like this, and I try to say it every day, it's, I'm trying to work with forgiveness, um, I am the target of a, of someone who's waging a vendetta against me, and has been for over a decade, and so this is oh. Master of the universe, I hereby forgive anyone who has angered or vexed me or sinned against me, either physically or financially, against my honor or anything else that is mine, whether accidentally or intentionally, inadvertently or deliberately, by speech or by deed, in this incarnation or in any other, any person, may no one be punished on my account. May it be your will, Lord my God and God of my fathers and mothers, that I shall sin no more nor repeat my sins. Neither shall I again anger you, nor do what is wrong in your eyes. The sins I have committed erase in your abounding mercies, but not through suffering or severe illnesses. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable before you, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So that's a prayer I like to say, and I I try to meditate on it, but it's a big, it's a tall order. (laughs) Yeah, so I think it's very beautiful. I think it's beautiful, too. It's definitely... I think that's a wonderful way to put it. Well, we've been talking about this kind of difficult inflated ego. It would be good to say something about the healthy ego. And uh, let me give, um, is it okay to go to that part of the topic? Yeah, please do. I think that's great. Okay. Um, And this would be uh, basically quoting from the book um, that a healthy, wholesome ego is one that accomplishes three tasks in life. One is to form relationships. Two is to reach reasonable goals. And three is to face what happens 
and deal with it. So when your ego is healthy, you form relationships that are loving and don't include the retaliation. They simply try to work things out. You reach for goals that really fit for your skill set and at the same time stretch you not in an arrogant way, but with pride in your gifts and thanks for the spiritual origin of your gifts. And finally, you're able to face the things that happen in life by accepting what can't be changed, having the courage to change what can be changed, and having the wisdom to know the difference. So this is what I mean by a healthy ego. And the unhealthy ego is the one that, instead of forming the the effective relationship, uses the relationship to gratify his own sense of himself. So you can see how that would be the opposite of the truly healthy way of relating. So if I want to have a healthy body, you know, I eat right, I eat a lot of vegetables, I exercise every day, I walk a lot, I do yoga. What do I do? What are the practices I can do to make my ego healthy? And and this positive, where it's forming good relationships, reaching um, reasonable goals, and facing what happens and dealing with it. Okay, I have a very specific answer to that, and it's in the book. Um, I have a little section in there, like shortcuts to letting go of ego. Mm-hmm. And if it's okay, I can read those. Please do. Uh, if you look in the table of contents, do you see there? It's on, I think it's on the second page of the table of contents. You see something that says shortcuts to letting go of ego? Or it should be in the chapter on letting go of ego. Well, let's see. I see taming and befriending our ego. Oh, practice, shortcuts of letting go of ego. Yes, page 123. Okay. Uh, does it start, do you see, you're, are you there now? Yep. Practice, shortcuts of let it, to letting go of ego. Follow the golden rule. There you go. Yeah. Do you want to read those? No, um, I should, Dave. Go ahead. Okay. So, so now these would be the practices <clears throat> that a person would engage in and be committed to if he or she were trying to reduce his own or her own ego. Okay. So follow the golden rule. Act toward others as you want them to act towards you. That one's pretty obvious. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's directly connected to this topic because, of course, the opposite would be um, I'm gonna. I treat others as I've been treated. Do as you've been done by. See, that's very different from. Mm. It's much uh, lower in consciousness. Yeah. Okay. Secondly, keep the needs of others in mind, especially in little ways. Three, find ways to maintain a healthy self-esteem without showing off. It's okay to be a big shot, but don't act that way. Four, let go of ranking, especially of elitism, seeing yourself as above others. 
Five, acknowledge not knowing something or showing that you need support or help. That would be a hard one for the big ego. Can't admit that he needs anybody. Six, when people give you feedback, take it as useful information, not as criticism, even if it's meant that way. Like you're always looking, oh, yeah, I want to find out how to reduce my ego. I want to get that feedback, even if it's critical. Seven, apologize when you know you have harmed or offended anybody. Make amends if necessary. By the way, all of these go against the grain. All of these sound like, hey, I don't want to do that. Um, you know, my husband They, they has don't a nice... give you a feeling of, oh, yeah, I would love doing that. <laughs> They're well, really husband, challenging. They are. My go husband ahead. has a wonderful way of apologizing when... We, you know, are having a fight, which happens, you know, regularly. But he'll say, mm-hmm. when I have a good point, he'll say, um, I'll try harder, I'll do better, I can do better. And it's so nice when he says that, even if I'm angry, if he says, I'll try harder, I can do better, I will do better. Something about it, the way he says that or him being able to say that, that pretty much usually, you know, takes my temper down, even if my fettle has mm. been... That's a great example, and that's a beautiful thing to say. And that is an example of reducing your ego. Well, when Because he the ego that, wants to say, I don't have to do better, I'm already perfect. Right, no, <laughs> no. And the fact that he's been able to say that has made me want to be, you know, less egotistical in relationship with him also. So it has not only, go. it doesn't just make me less, angry it also makes me want to do better in the relationship so it's been a wonderful thing and i've learned you know about that from him mm-hmm. just in well, the day-to-day neat. work that makes a lot of sense um should we continue with the yeah. example Please. so apologize when you know you have harmed or offended someone Let go of attempts to control, dominate, and manipulate others. Give people leeway and make allowances for their mistakes rather than picking them up on every little thing they do that irks you. Welcome disagreement because it can lead to dialogue. Cooperate rather than compete. Give up center stage. Join in the group goal. Reconcile yourself to not always getting your way. Work things out with people when they're ready and willing to do so rather than be resentful, pout, snub, or use the silent treatment, all forms of retaliation. Don't hold a grudge against those who have wronged you, even if they don't admit it. Remain on high alert for the entry of your ego into any interaction with others. You'll know it's coming up when you feel indignant or feel someone has slighted your dignity. When when someone's ego is aroused toward you, don't dig your heels in, pause with compassion, try to work something out. In, In adult intimate relationships, don't try to vindicate yourself to gratify your ego. Instead, let go of your ego to gratify the purposes of the relationship. 
then I have my quote from the Sermon on the Mount. Do good to those who hate you, pray for or wish enlightenment for those who have betrayed, failed, or mistreated you. And finally, see losing face. Losing face is an example of uh, an ego reaction. See losing face and all these suggestions as welcome opportunities to grow in humility. So that is my list of what it would take. And as you can see, they are not very appealing Mm -hmm. because they don't give you the satisfaction (laughs) of feeling you got back at someone. They sound kind of namby-pamby, but they're not. I gave my example of the person I consider a truly healthy male who has self-esteem, but he does not have a big ego. That is uh, Gregory Peck character in uh, Kill a Mockingbird. Mm-hmm. That's what you look like when you have less ego and more self-esteem. He's strong, people can't take advantage of him, but he doesn't have even a even the slightest uh, big ego in his reactions. And he certainly is admirable. So it's not as if you're going to become uh, a doormat. You're still going to be strong, but you're going to do it in a way that... Uh, really um, has a lot of healthy self-esteem in it. What about the current presidential race? There seems to be some archetypes at play and some strong reactions. Do you have any thoughts about this? Yes, you certainly see a lot of... I won't, I'm not going to talk about any specific candidates, but watching the debate last night, um, I could see how much ego there was in the various reactions and statements and you know it's as long as it's going to be about me and what I can do and will do as opposed to I'm committed to sitting down together with everybody and coming up with the best plan it is going to be ego oriented you know if it's about Here's what I can do, and it's better than what anybody else can do. Mm-hmm. Hello? Yeah, I'm here. Dave? Yeah, I'm here. We can barely hear you. Are you speaking into the... Hello? Can you hear better now? Yes, thank you. Okay. Go ahead. Well, I've been kind of entertained and sometimes bewildered by the by the race, it uh, does seem to be a lot of really interesting egotism. Uh In the new book you write, the life of a healthy person is based on integrity and loving kindness rather than status. And that reminded me of something you wrote in The Power of Grace, which is, um, and this is a quote, the real is that which is free of barriers, divisions, and rank. The real is what? The real is that which is free of barriers, divisions, and rank. Oh, yeah. And that would be the opposite of the big ego style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So, and remember again that um, you know you mentioned the power of grace, my other book. That it will take grace to give you the motivation to do that list of practices that I just read. You will not find the motivation just in yourself. No one would. It happens when a grace touches you and says, hey, this is the way to be. Here's a beautiful way to be a human. Do you want to go here? Because most people here love your enemy, do good to those who hate you. Uh, They say, what? (laughs) I mean, it's the absolute opposite of your natural reaction. Right, well, grace may be beautiful when it comes in, but the work is not so much fun. The work is work. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) That's a very good point. You're touched by the grace. I mean, it's sort of like in, uh, in recovery, you know, you're touched by a grace that says, okay, I have to admit I'm an alcoholic and I need the program and I need the 12 steps. I can't do it on my own. That's a big letting go of ego because ego believes it can do everything on its own. It doesn't need anybody, let alone a bunch of people who are, have, are were themselves drunks. So when you receive the grace to say, no, that's a beautiful fellowship and I want to be part of it, That's just the beginning. And then, as you say, you're faced with the hard work of uh, no longer going to Jim Beam to get the the goodies, but Mm -hmm. going to the meetings. Mm -hmm. That's going to take a lot of work. So will the steps, which include, you know, making amends for the way you've hurt others, that's going to be hard for the ego to do. They deserved it. That's the ego's answer. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to, you know, a big change is going to happen and have to happen inside you. And as you say, it will have then to be supported by effort. And that effort is difficult for most of us. The effort I don't find so much fun. I'm willing to do it, but it's not fun. I'm also really interested in this idea of status and ranking. And it's because I live in New York City, which is kind of the capital of status and ranking. And I had two contrasting experiences about status over the last um, few last year, basically. And last year, I attended a memorial status a service with a friend. And a friend of hers had committed suicide. And we ended up at this memorial service. And it was for a kind of investment banker who had lost his money and then committed suicide. And I ended up sitting with a group of investment bankers, and they started talking about traveling. So I'm just sitting there listening to the conversation, and it went, I stayed in X hotel. It only cost $500 per night. I went to Y restaurant. It was only $300 a person. So that was one experience. Then I recently, a few weeks ago, was in Santa Fe Business, and I had dinner with some friends. And they started talking about a trip they'd taken. They were traveling. They'd take it to Mexico. And they talked about the birds they saw. They were just talked about standing on the beach and collecting rocks. They talked about the sky and the waves. And I, I was shocked at the contrast between the two groups of people that the first mm. group just wasn't, you know, it was all about how much money they'd spent on various things. And mm-hmm. and there was a lot of, like, jostling about it. Well, I you spent 500 Oh, that's nothing for you. I spent 750 That's nothing for me. 
And then mm. my friends were like, we picked up this beautiful rock and we saw these beautiful birds. It was so, what is this about ranking and status? And why is this so addictive? And how do people overcome it? What do you do in the culture? Because the culture is really addicted to status and ranking. Yes, and it's not just this culture. I mean, it's worldwide. You know, I know more. I have more. I, uh, I'm uh, more attractive than you are. I'm bigger than you are. I'm. You know, it's like all our lives we've um, seen these comparisons, and we turn the comparisons into ranks, so that you know somebody will be one down and somebody else will be one up. That is entirely the style of this big big ego. It wants a world in which it will be the one on top and be able to look down on others because it gets its sense of its own bigness by the smallness it sees in others. So that's why it's it's, uh, tragic and... Uh, an object of our compassion, pity, really, more than even more than compassion, and uh, even in uh, the gospel, you know, the the apostles say to Jesus, "Well, when you go to heaven, uh, you know, the new kingdom, uh, we would like to be sitting, you know, on the right and left of you." He says, no, that's all ranking. That's how the pagans do things. We don't do things that way. The, the, the best reward is when you show acts of charity toward poor people. Mm-hmm. So that's, that, uh, again, it comes from a spiritual source, and we find that over and over again, that all the recommendations for letting go of ego uh, come from something spiritual And that's why, since most people aren't spiritually oriented, um, that's why there's so much ego all over the place. An excellent example of um, why the, how the ego reacts, by the way, I forgot to mention this, is road rage. Mm. Someone cuts you off, your immediate reaction is fear. But of course, you're not allowed to feel fear because that's weak. So instantly it switches to aggression, violence, anger, uh, and you're going to uh, do God knows what on the road uh, that will be very dangerous to try to get back at the one who cut you off. Well, Dave, That road rage is ego. We, we have a question in the chat room from Robin. And she oh, said, okay. can David speak more about the letting go of ego and not having others take advantage of you? So that would be uh, how you could, and I I'll talk a lot about this in the book, but in summary, you're looking for a way to be assertive without being passive or aggressive. So if you think of a, a line of a, 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 a horizontal line in the middle you put assertiveness on the far left you put aggressiveness and on the far right you put passivity 
So you're always looking for that middle path. Now, what does that middle path look like? I ask for what I want, but I don't push people and manipulate them to make sure I get it. So that that would be the aggressive side. I ask for what I want. That's the assertive side. I don't ask at all. That's the passive. I just let people decide for me. So you're always, when you're making a decision, you, you picture those three options. And you're always trying to, as Aristotle said, the virtue is always in the middle. So, so right there in the center. You see it as a spectrum rather than either or. Right. Right. And the, the spectrum helps us find the center. And the center it consists of the assertiveness. The assertiveness has three characteristics. One, I ask for what I want. Two, I show my feelings. And three, I take responsibility for my feelings. So when those three are in place, you have become strong enough to have a healthy ego without being uh, passive or at the mercy of others. So that would be my way of answering the question. Does this make sense to you, mm-hmm. Tracy? Yeah, okay. makes sense. So, um, And Robin hasn't chatted anything in the chat room, so I'm guessing it makes sense um, to her. In one of your other books that you wrote, I'm not sure which one it is, but you wrote, Our Trust in Ourselves is Trust in Our True Nature. How does that relate to this question of ego and healthy self-esteem? Oh, good. I'm glad you brought that up. Our And that's from my book, Daring to Trust. Mm. That's a beautiful um, book. Oh, thank you. Um, the ego is the conscious center of our personality. And, of course, the work that we can do on ourselves is to make that ego healthy rather than let it follow the street style that we were brought up with and that we see all over the place in movies, in politics, in relationships, etc., But beyond that, we also have a Buddha nature, a higher self, a spiritual identity that is not limited by our personality. It's totally unlimited. In fact, Jung calls this the archetype of the self with a capital S, the quote, the God within, unquote. In fact, you could even think of, you know, the indwelling spirit, uh, Christ consciousness, Buddha mind. All these spiritual phrases describe uh, a larger identity that we have that transcends our ego. And so that is something else that we're walking around inside of, It's not inside of us. We're inside of it. Mm -hmm. And it's the same in everyone. So it's the source of our uh, sense of unity as as connected beings. And 
uh, it is our spiritual reality. So I, so in the book, I I talk about how this can be uh, appreciated as a big feature of who we are, and that ego, when that ego is so big, it 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 um, it hides that other wonderful reality, which is the divine inside of us. I mean, that we're inside of. Mm-hmm. It's so, in us, through us, with us. I mean, it's in all all, all the prepositions uh, fit. Well, we only have a couple of minutes left. Um, so if you want to give your website again, and then if there was one thing that my that listeners or readers would take away from your work or your books, what would it be? What's the most important single most important teaching and why? But first I would say the <laughs> okay, the the website is Dave Rico at AOL dot com. No, no, that's your email. That's, that's not it. Okay. It's Dave Rico dot com. Uh D A V E R I C H O like Dave Richo dot com. And uh, I agree with what Tracy said, that I do have my YouTube. It's on the first page, and it's uh, on love. So if you go to the website, go to that home page, and you will see, just click on the YouTube, and it'll take you to this uh, one I have on love. That's about the best one I have. And then there are others on there that you can also watch for free. I also have CDs, and you can um, choose from those also, which can be downloaded. And I think the most important thing I would like to say, and that I say in, in all my books, is that nothing matters more than being able to say yes to what is, especially the what is about who, about ourselves. To be absolutely loyal to the truthful reality of who we are, trusting that who we are is ever-evolving. Well, that is beautiful. Dave, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And And, uh, I enjoyed it. Well, thank you. I really It's always a pleasure and a treat to have you on, and I want to urge my listeners to get your book. So thanks again, Dave. Okay, thank you, Tracy. Take care. Bye. So listeners, go get Dave Rico's new book, You Are Not What You Think, The Egoless Path to Self-Esteem and Generous Love. And join us um, next week on Thursday, March 10th at 1 p.m., hip-hop literature author Anthony White will be on talking about creating a new genre of literature, which will be very cool. Thanks a bunch for tuning in and talk to you next time. This has been Tracy L. Flatten on the Independent Artists and Thinkers Network. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week.